0: Calling, 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 Hi, how you doing? (laughs) I swear I make my own self laugh, y'all. It's your girl, E, and welcome to The Call, where we hear from wildly inspiring women about their journey to answer their life's calling. This is usually the time when I try to provide some sort of context for our conversation, right? I'll give some cultural or political or even industry-related reason for me wanting to talk to this guest and hear about how she answered her call. But I got to be honest, y'all, this time it's not that deep. I just wanted her on the show because she's fabulous. (laughs) That's the best way that I can describe media personality and entrepreneur, Bevy Smith. You may have seen her on Page Six TV Or heard her show Bevelations on Andy Cohen's Sirius XM station. I remember I first got hip to her as a co-host of Bravo's Fashion Queens. Or maybe you just saw her New York Times profile. It was in the Sunday routine section. And it showed her as this fly 50-year-old Black woman floating around Harlem on Sundays, doing brunches and living her best life. That's what I mean when I say fabulous. And this is all the second wave of her career. She's known for having a really culturally relevant, bold voice around fashion, celebrity, and culture. And while we do talk about, quote unquote, very important things in our conversation, like how she's using her platform in the current climate, the truth is the bulk of this is just about how Bevy built Bevy which is what I find to be so inspiring. She truly designed her life. She knew what she wanted. And even when that changed, she went after her new dreams with that a level of passion and tenacity that I think is super cool. Um, Bevy's going to get real in the conversation. It's so much fun. She gets raw. We even get a tiny bit raunchy for a quick second. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did and, and are inspired by her journey. Here's Bevy Smith on the call. Girl, they- Bevy Smith. Yes. Thank you so much for being here on the call. Well, thank you for having
1: me. I'm, I'm excited. Really,
0: I'm excited. I guess my first question for you before we even get in is how do you describe yourself? You're one of those people that is multi-passionate and is yeah. doing a lot of things. You've had a lot of different cycles in your career. When someone says, who is Bevy Smith and what do you do?
1: How do you answer that question? It's so easy now, and it hasn't been easy for the I'm past telling. 12 years. <laughs> For the first part of my career, from the time I was like 18 to the time I was 38, it was very easy to describe what I did. I Mm -hmm. was like, I work in advertising or I'm a fashion, you know, advertising professional or something like that. And then when I quit my gig, it became a little difficult because I was doing a lot of things. But it was all in the aim and the goal To become a media personality, to do TV and radio, and to be to write and all these different things, Mm -hmm. and now hashtag Mama, I made it. (laughs) I'm (laughs) actually a media personality. I love it. So now I can just be like, I'm a media personality. personality. It's so clear. It's so 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 clear, girl. I had a life revision. It Uh happened. Oh my god. But.
0: Okay, so first of all, the way you just said that, I love because when you said, I wanted to be a media personality. So my background was working in politics and activism, and then I transitioned, and I was like, I want to do media. Yeah. There was some guilt around, and maybe it was because I came from that world yeah. where it's not supposed to be about you, yeah. it's supposed to be about other things, you're in service, it's other issues, other people. So you kind of didn't, you weren't supposed to say, no, I'm good at being out front, I want to be out front, there's a role for that. Did you ever have any concern about saying look i, I want to be in front of the
1: camera well here's the thing all women most women i've not met a woman yet mm-hmm. that hasn't had a problem with saying that mm-hmm. because in our society we're not groomed to be that
2: mm-hmm.
1: women're not groomed to be in front and to it's certainly not to admit it to be bold enough to say yes i think i can be in front and i think i do have something to say and i think my voice will resonate with people right men can say that all day long but women a lot of times we're taught to be kind of more demure and, well, no, who me? We play coy uh-huh. and all that shit. Yep. Ain't nobody got time for that.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But all that to say is that for many years, I had no idea, it didn't even occur to me that this is what I wanted. So, okay. so you weren't like
0: sitting there with this secret desire. No, you no, didn't no. Even I'm know. a
1: child. No, I was sitting there, sitting there with no secret desire. <laughs> you, know what, you know what my secret desire was? What? I didn't want to work. <laughs> that was my secret desire. Amen. I, did, I never wanted to work.
0: Interesting. I've
1: always felt that I was very, for lack of a better term, lazy, and didn't want stop to. Stop it. I swear. And did not want to work. I spent my 20s and the first half of my 30s in an attempt to get married so a man could take care of me. Baby, stop. I swear. Stop this. I swear. Really? Yeah. I've been engaged. I've been in... Big monumental relationships that I thought were going to go the long haul. And and I really was in service to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I really was striving to get someone to take over this life mm. so I could, like, eat a bonbon and sit on the sofa, honey, and watch the <laughs> TV.
0: Now, where did that come from? I mean, obviously, there's cultural narratives that say that's what women are supposed cultural to do. Narratives. But was there stuff in your own life oh, yeah, that yeah, you my, saw? My parents, uh-huh. my mom
1: worked, but she worked so that she could buy stuff. Okay and, um, my father is a caregiver and he's the provider. Mm-hmm. um, my sister's married to a provider. Mm-hmm. My aunts are married to providers, so that was you Got know it. kind that of in my model. family women are taken care of. so mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Okay. I (laughs) need to get on that that plan. Right, right. Who wants to sit up and work somewhere? You know what (laughs) I mean? It's so funny because I used to say about um, women's lib, that's a white woman's game because black women have spent all their lives. We've had to work. We didn't have a choice not not to work. We're not fighting to
0: get in the workplace. We're not fighting to
1: get in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I'm fighting to get out of the fucking workplace. (laughs) Now, of course, I have a different kind of outlook on all of that. But for many years, if we're keeping it real, Mm I'm going to just tell you, I, that's what I wanted to do. I did not want to work. And and I also did not want to take responsibility for um, making my own life. Mm-hmm. I really wanted, and I think, again, this is something that is a, a narrative for women. I really expected someone to come along and to make it all better.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. he can do it, see?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He can come along and he can fulfill every thing that I've ever desired in my life. Mm -hmm. So it was a shocker when I realized after my last big relationship and that ended and I realized I've been pursuing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's not panned out. I think I might actually have to be in charge of my own life.
0: How old were you when that happened?
1: I was 33, 34. And I was like, wow. See,
0: the reason this is throwing me off so much. It's not that it's like, oh, that's an odd thing to say. I've never heard it before usually people who say I was lazy, I didn't want to work, do not have the kind of careers you had, right? Like, by okay, your 30s, let me tell you, you the had a dope career already. I had a dope already. career,
1: but let me tell you the scam on the career, girl. <laughs> what
0: was the scam? I need to know.
1: That's just a full scam. <laughs> I had the career that I had because I knew it would attract the caliber of man that I Woo! wanted. That's now, deep. most women will never tell you that, that but there are a myriad of women who go to college for their MRS degree, mm-hmm. Okay, you know that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they go into corporate situations because they know that they're going to meet men of a certain ilk if they're mm-hmm. doing, you know, if they yep. have a, a proper kind of position. Education
0: level, income level, uh-huh. all that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: And then you get to tap out once you get married and have the second kid. Mm-hmm. You usually try and play a little you game with the first one. out. Oh, honey. <laughs> I was going to tap out with the first kid, though. Wow. And by the way, I didn't even want children. But I knew that that was a part of the deal. Mm.
2: Because you can't
1: really stay at home and not not have kids. (laughs) Because it's like, okay, well, when I met you, you had a career. But if you have the children, then you can say, now my new career is being a mother. And that is a career. That is a job. Yeah. So what's the scam I was trying to pull? Thank well, but God. But you
0: it well because, so for those who don't know, <laughs> tell us briefly about what, what that portion of your career was.
1: Okay. So I was a, a media director at an advertising agency and we worked on things like Bill Blass and Vanity Fair Magazine, Bottega Veneta, all kinds of really high-end luxury stuff. And then from there I left and I went to Vibe Magazine where I was a fashion and beauty ad director where I broke accounts like Gucci and Prada and Dior and I went to Milan and Paris six times a year um and then I um uh, then life. Not no, a bad it, life. it was a great it was a great glamorous amazing life yeah. and I did enjoy it mm-hmm. but I also at the time was in a relationship with someone who was an executive in the music industry and so it was very cute for us because it was like yes mm-hmm. the couple yeah the, the music and the music uh-huh and so it was like very like zhuzh. yeah um, and then I left there and I went to Rolling Stone magazine where I was like the only black person in management. And it was a very heady gig. And mm-hmm. it was it was a very well-paying gig. And yeah, I did well. Mm-hmm. I did very well in my career. Um, but by the time I got to Rolling Stone, I already knew that I didn't want to. Um, I had already had the epiphany that I was going to have to actually control my own life and actually get to happy on my own. I basically went there with the idea that I was going to make some money, stockpile that, and then pursue my new life, mm-hmm. which was going to be a life of creativity.
0: When you said that you wanted to pursue the new life, you knew what that would look like? Well, like did you have a clear map and vision? I, of I what? did
1: have a vision of what it looked like, of course. And what's so amazing about what I wanted it to look like is that Pretty much, it does look exactly like how I envisioned it, except it took much longer to get here, and there were lots of amazing twists and turns. Like I became an accidental entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. um, because when I quit my job at Rolling Stone, I had money saved, and I figured, oh, yeah, it'll only take me like a... Maybe six months to a year to get on a TV show. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, girl? I was like, yes. <laughs> and funny enough, I actually did get a TV show offer very early on after I quit my job, Andy Cohen. Was now my minch. Um, <laughs> I love that. I thought you called him that before. Yeah, that's my baby. This is when Andy was still just an executive at Bravo. He was not a TV personality himself. And he offered me an opportunity to be the sidekick to Tim Gunn on the Tim Gunn show oh, wow. that was on Bravo. Uh-huh. And the contract was really bad. And my lawyer said they won't budge and we don't have a choice. And I said, well, you always have a choice. Let's tell them no. Mm. Were you afraid
0: to say no at that time?
1: No, because I was so delirious. Because imagine you have to have a certain amount of belief in yourself to quit a very high-paying job and one that is very fancy and one that most people think of as a dream job. And for a time, it was a dream job. So if you're quitting something that is so amazingly glamorous and fabulous and all of that and pays you well, you kind of have to know, oh, I'm about to slay this. Cause Cause you,
0: you, ever d- you never doubted that? You didn't have a moment after you did it? Like, so when I walked away from my job, which, let's be very clear, was not that high paying and <laughs> okay. not that glamorous, <laughs> okay. but it was in an industry that I no longer wanted to be in, yeah I felt confident that first day. Mm-hmm. And then, let's say, like, by the next Wednesday, I was <laughs> like, what did I do? No, but you see, never felt that way.
1: Well, here's a great thing about what I was able to do. So when I quit, like I said, I had money saved. Mm-hmm. I-, I also did, like, uh, my own sepia version of Eat, Pray, Love, where I went to... <laughs>
2: The sepia you know, version, yeah. sepia
1: version, where I went to South Africa. I went to Joburg and the Cape Town, and I went to Zambia, and I went to Brazil, where I went to Bahia and Rio, um, and then I went to Costa Rica. So I was gone for, like, three months. Okay. So I shed my corporate skin. Mm-hmm. When I came back, I took acting classes, improv classes, writing classes. Mm-hmm. You when changed I,
0: the name, too, right? From yes, Beverly I, to Bevy. Or yes, Bev. So I
1: did that when I was... Thirty-five. I changed my name to Bevy, but yeah. So I had already shed the skin on the trip Mm -hmm. on the Epray Love sepia version, and then when I came back, I was in classes. So I was like doing all these wonderful things, and I was like, you know, reading the artist way. So I was going on artist dates every single week, Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, I had new friends that were super creative. You know, I had to kind of shed my old friendship pool because most of my friends were corporate people, so they're not really going to understand. And also, it makes people nervous. When you're doing something that they would never fathom to do. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I realized I had to cultivate new friendships, people that were like me. So those people that you see in Starbucks all day long, and (laughs) and this is what everyone that's like listening, that it's like, what are they doing? Don't they have jobs? Bitch, they're following their fucking dreams, okay? And hey, don't clap. hate. Hey, congratulate. <laughs> yeah. And take a note, because maybe you want to do that too. Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah. it's a good. That's a good lesson, though, because I think the difference between what you did and what I did was you were smart enough to say, "I'm transitioning. I need to create a new life around this thing that I'm doing." And I yeah. think what a lot of people do is they take the jump mm-hmm. and they have the plans and the vision. But don't realize how isolating it can feel if you don't have the friends around you who are doing the same thing yeah. or if you're not making the experiences every day to bring you joy in this new life. You're just kind of sitting there where a job once was yes, with your dreams
1: mm-hmm. and your little check. Yep.
0: And so you created that environment around yourself like this is Bevy's new life. Yes, it you was know? my
1: new life. Mm-hmm. It was my new life and it was awesome. Yeah. And then I had all these amazing people from my old life that held me up. i never forget when I quit, people were like, oh, you'll see. All those people that once upon a time ring your phone and invite you here, there, in the next place, all that's going to change, never changed. Mm
2: -hmm. My
1: friends in the fashion business are still my friends to this day. Mm -hmm. Before, during, and after, from Beverly to Bevy, they've all been there. They've all lifted me up, and, um, you know, it's been phenomenal. As a matter of fact, the reason why I created Dinner with Bevy is because I was broke, I was two years into my journey.
0: Oh, so you did have a broke moment?
1: Broken, like as far as coins. No,
0: that's what I meant. Yeah, so oh, you had but a broke moment. Because I was, moment, yeah, I was yeah. thinking this whole time, no, oh, no, no, no. You got to no. offer a bravo. And then you just No, no, went no, 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 no. I was okay. broke,
1: but I was euphoric, darling, because I was doing everything <laughs> I wanted to do.
0: That's the way to be broke.
1: Yeah, it was crazy because I didn't have any money left, but I was on VH1 and on E! and on BET, and I was writing for Glamour and Interview Magazine and and Paper Mm -hmm. Magazine. I was doing all these things that I set out to do. It just wasn't enough money coming in to sustain my new life.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So I had to come up with an idea. So I was invited to a Hugo Boss holiday party, and it was all these fabulous editors from all the big magazines and everything, and it was at Nobu. Mm-hmm. And I had no coins in my pocket, but, you know, I still had the garment darling, <laughs> from the old life.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So I go to the party, and it's fabulous, and I'm having the best time, and I'm tipping out, and I'm drunk, and I realize, oh, my God, I was the only person in that room that was there without a masthead accreditation. Like, I wasn't a part of a magazine. Mm-hmm. I was not with a company. Mm-hmm. I was just bevy. They invited me for me. So it was kind of like that moment where I was like, I have really amazing relationships. Mm-hmm. I built up real connections with people. It was not just kind of a fleeting moment because right. of a title or what have you. And it was a wonderful feeling to know that. And, so the, value
0: I, you, and right? the, value the value was you. And the value was not your affiliation, but right. it was who you are. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I'm leaving and I see Amarion. And I had shot him when um, when I quit Rolling Stone, I went back to Vibe as a fashion editor okay. at large, which is a very difficult thing to do. Most people never sit on both sides of the masthead. So I was on the business side, and then I was on the creative side. So I shot Marion and he had just left B2K, mm-hmm. and I shot him in a suit, a Dolce & Gabbana suit. And it was his birthday. He was turning like 21 or something, and he loved the suit so much he's like, Bevy, I'm having a birthday dinner. Do you think I could wear the suit? So I called up my friends at Dolce, and they said, sure. So, of course, Amarion was like, you're so awesome. He so he had a real affinity towards me. Uh huh. So I see him, and he's like, Bev, where you been? I need your help. I'm working on a new project. I need some styling and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, it's just at this dinner that you should have been at. And then the light bulb went off. There's no way in the world that Amarion gets into a room with GQ, Esquire, mm-hmm men's health all the big magazines editors this mm-hmm. th- that doesn't work mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. at that time the general market magazines and and media entities had still not caught up okay. so they would maybe feature usher they were beginning to feature you know Beyonce or something but they had not yet cuz now you see everybody in everything exactly people are but always that was to not the, who's the next yes yeah. but that was not the case so it was my job to create that space where these people could have an opportunity to show who was next. And, get, so pay, I created, and pay you to yes, do that, to yes. bring them all together. So that's how I created Dinner with Bevy. So I was an accidental entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the really amazing things that came out of my journey. Mm-hmm. Because if it had gone exactly the way I wanted to, I would have never created Dinner with Bevy. Mm-hmm. I would have never known that I was an entrepreneur. Doing Dinner with Bevy taught me that I'm such a self-starter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... While I thought I was lazy, what it is actually is that I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. So as long as it's work that I'm passionate about, that excites me, I will go all day and all night. Mm -hmm. The minute you put something in front of me and I'm not interested in it, bitch, I don't want to do it. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? So that's and so that taught me. Yeah, I realized that's what it was. I was like, oh my god, I was never lazy. I just didn't want to do shit that I didn't want to do.
0: Uh huh. So let's fast forward. So you Uh transitioned. You made this shift. You're now kind of in Bevy's new life. Yes. Media, television, personality. You've got dinner. Did you make any mistakes along the way? What were your what were the Oh, were the my missteps? biggest mistake, not yeah. paying my
1: taxes. Yeah. I
0: can't I can't. That is not what I thought you were gonna say. Yeah. I thought it was to with something deep, like, you know, I didn't believe in my you're like, nah, I no. didn't pay my taxes. So
1: that's what I want to say to everybody who's an entrepreneur, pay your taxes. Oop. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And was it wasn't. I mean, obviously, it's a very clear. It's a very clear, simple statement. It's, it's very simple. clear. I'm curious. Did that happen though? Because did you feel like were you prepared on the business side to be an entrepreneur and be independent? And that-
1: no, I wasn't because I didn't intend to be an entrepreneur.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. You
1: know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had spent my entire life catching the check. And by the way, unlike most people, I loved all my jobs until I didn't. So I actually had never worked a job. Mm-hmm. And hated it mm-hmm. and stayed. Mm-hmm. I was always a chick with the parachute. Yeah. I'm like, like oh, this doesn't work for me anymore. Oh, I'm quick to quit a job. Mm-hmm. And now I know that about myself. I know that once I've, like, climbed the summit and made it to the mountaintop, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, I'm on a rest on your laurels kind of girl. Like, yeah. I, um. I marvel at what Pat Sajak is able to do. He's been on that Wheel of Fortune for decades, and it's the same fucking show day in and day out. But <laughs> Damn, guess what? He makes ridiculous. so much money.
0: And, and, and he, he must only, be happy. He must be, right? I don't know,
1: but he makes tens of millions of dollars a year doing that silly job. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No disrespect. I shouldn't call it a silly job. But doing that job. Uh-huh. That he comes in and they they tape them all in clumps. The judge shows too, but I still don't know if I could do it. I don't know. No, that
0: doesn't sound that doesn't sound fun to me. What what about that? Do you admire?
1: Um, the fact that they make tens of millions of dollars. Okay, so that's. The, that's <laughs> I do. A, I do. I admire that immensely.
0: Okay, <laughs> that is admirable. It's admirable. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so you have moments when you were broke. You you have moments when you're making good money. How do you measure? your success beyond money, right? Oh, so you yeah, talked yeah about yeah, yeah, yeah. euphoria. Um, you talked yeah. about your euphoria, being able to do what you want to do, yeah. so that's one way. Money's yeah. another. How do you measure, Bevy, say, okay, I'm doing something that is valuable, meaningful, where I want to be in the world?
1: I'll tell you this, because you know I was just featured in the New York Times.
0: I do. Your Sundays.
1: Yes, my Sunday routine. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what that meant to me. I'm a New Yorker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been reading the New York Times since I was like 12 years old. And so that was a really amazing aha moment for me. It was like, oh my gosh. Because I've been the times before, mm-hmm. but never in such a substantial way. So that was really, really meaningful for me. And I've always known I'm a slow and steady as she goes kind of gal. Mm-hmm. You know, fools rush in. Mm-hmm. I ain't no fool. Mm-hmm. So I love a slow and steady pace. But it was wonderful to see that because it was, it represented the culmination of the 12 years of work. hmm so it's been
0: 12 since you kind mm-hmm. of started this journey. Yeah,
1: okay. 12 years of journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not 12 not, years of Not slave. slave. 12 <laughs> years of journey. <laughs> uh-huh. So that was a really lovely cherry on top. One way I really do measure success is that when I respect people and they respect me. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, on Radio Andy, I get Sandra Bernhardt. Is it on on your show? No, no, no. She has her own show called no, Sandyland.
0: Oh, okay. okay. She has sorry. her own
1: show on Radio Andy called Sandyland. But that means that we're both in the same family, Mm -hmm. and to have created a friendship with Sandra Bernhardt, someone who I grew up watching and admiring, Mm -hmm. and now she knows who I am, and she loves me, Uh and she thinks I'm a talent. Uh Or, you know, when I do Page Six TV and I get to work with Mario Cantone, someone who I've admired forever, Mm -hmm. and he knows who I am, and he respects my work. Mm -hmm. You know, Andre Leon Talley, When I saw Andre Leontali last year at Tribeca Film Festival and he says to me, I love what you're doing, Wendy Williams. I love your commentary. You don't understand what that means for me because he is a holy grail of not fashion, but he's a fashion encyclopedia. See, he can write volumes Mm -hmm. on the history of fashion. So if someone like that says, I like your fashion commentary, that means, okay, girl.
0: Right, there's weight to it.
1: There's weight to it. There's a gravitas to it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I measure my success. Mm -hmm. I want to be respected by those who I respect. So I'm not really interested in popularity. Okay. I'm certainly not interested in being a celebrity. Mm -hmm. But I am very interested in being well-respected in my fields of choice. Mm That's how I measure my success.
0: You don't seem very preoccupied with how fast you can get something, age. How do you resist that, though? Because I was just talking to another guest about how when I turned 30, for a brief moment, I had a breakdown not, and I realized I don't know why mm-hmm. I'm good, but because so much of my career prior to that had been 30 under 30 and, and 25 under 25 right, right, and right. yeah, 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 yeah. and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. when people create this world around but now you can based be off on 40 of age, 40, I sure can I sure, and I will, I will. Right, yeah,
1: it's fine girl <laughs> but they, they, and they'll do 50 under 50, you'll sure be on that
0: list. They will, 90 under 90. Right, exactly. Hello? <laughs> But it's hard. I hadn't realized how much I'd internalized that idea around youth and being a prodigy. And you're the youngest person. You're, uh-huh. you're the black person. You're the, the woman. You're the all these things. But yeah. young, young, young.
1: Young, young, young. How did you resist that? Oh, because I have an amazing mother. And my mom had me when she was 37 or 38. Wow. And back then, in 1966,
0: that was unheard of. That's
1: huge. Yeah. And so my mother had two children prior to me. My sister is only a year older than I am. but My brother's 11 years old. But even having a child at 27 in the 1950s was like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like old maid who lives in a shoe. <laughs> so a couple of things about my mother. She was and is fine as one. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when I was 12 and my mom was 50, I remember distinctly everywhere we go... Men catcalling for my mom and my mom just being sexy and vibrant and fabulous and doing photo shoots at home with my dad. My dad was a photographer. And my mom would do costume changes and wig changes. And oh, that's fabulous. She's a glamour puss. Mm-hmm. She still is to this day. She's 89 and she is a glamour puss. <laughs> I okay? love that. And so I've always had a healthy connection with age and aging because my mother never made a big deal about her age. Mm-hmm. She was just sexy and vibrant at any age, no matter and what. So is, yeah, yeah, and that's so for you it's, never it's, been. Yeah. it's never never even dawned on me that I was like getting old or older or any of it. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm.
0: So age hasn't been a huge part of your identity. No. What about race and gender in terms of how oh, you yeah, think I'm about black, it? Black, black, it. black,
1: black. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm black first. I'm a woman second.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. And it's very interesting about race and gender because I worked in fashion and I worked in luxury fashion. And mm-hmm. so that's a very rare airspace. And so that is dominated by white people, primarily white gay people
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then white women. Um, so race was always a big part of the conversation. Many people didn't bring it up. I would bring it up because I was very proud of where I was from. I remember, um, you know, a friend pointed out to me, you know... You are from Manhattan, but you always say you're from Harlem. I'm like, yes, because Harlem is a part of Manhattan. And yeah, I could I could fudge it or whatever, because Manhattan was always my playground. My parents always took us downtown. We were always going to museums. We were always going to Central Park. We were always doing things outside the hood. So Manhattan is very much my playground, much like Harlem is. But Harlem is home, and Harlem is where the heart is. And so that's mm-hmm. why wherever I walk, mm-hmm. I walk with Harlem. Mm-hmm. And so when I was overseas and people would say, Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Harlem. And my friend pointed out, you know, you you could just say Manhattan and it just maybe it'd be a little chic or whatever. I was <laughs> like, That's because motherfuckers don't know Harlem is the chicest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when um I went to the Schomburg for the big announcement that they had acquired James Baldwin's papers, yes. I'm like, see, this is why I'm from Harlem, darling, and not from Manhattan. That's why. Yeah. You know, when when you can see where Langston Hughes lived or when Zora Neale Hurston, I've always known these things. Mm -hmm. So I've always been acutely aware of where I was from and who I am and all of that. And that shaped me. So race is a very big part of my conversation always. But I also was raised by two amazing people who, even though they were raised in Jim Crow South, they didn't teach us to be prejudiced. And there was never disparaging words said in my household about White people, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was more of a kind of like people are people kind of thing, but not mm-hmm. in the kumbaya kind of way. It Just was never really talked about. The same way my mom never talked about age, she never really talked about race. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're talking about race is more just a celebration of who you are, yeah, not necessarily that in relation to someone or something. Yeah, I don't else. have to
1: see it through their prism, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not pandering for them, and I'm not. Here to make you feel comfortable about knowing someone who's black or what I'm not, yeah. You know, not no, I not just do what I that. do. I'm not your Negro. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wonderful use of that. Wonderful use of that. You know I right mean? There. Like, yeah. yeah. But, so let me ask you this. So, so with race always being a part of your conversation, gender also, but to a lesser extent.
1: Yeah, because I worked in fashion, so women. That was the norm. Oh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Women are prized in fashion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: With that being a part of your conversation, your work, your orientation, the way you look at the world, but also, especially now with what you talk about, which is everything, right, on your show, Mm -hmm. pop culture, how do you see the political climate affecting Mm -hmm. your work,
1: if at all? It does, it does, because my show is a pop culture show. And I took the gig, it's to do a pop culture show. Mm -hmm. So imagine my surprise that when I'm like, you know, eight months into it, and Alton Sterling and Trayvon Martin you just run back down the list. Everyone keeps getting killed. And now all of a sudden, instead of me being able to talk about happy birthday, X, Y, and Z, and have a fun, piffy show, I have to sit down here and I have to break this down to you about why this is a problem.
2: hmm
1: And about why I can't say all lives matter. I have to say black lives matter. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I don't care about all people, but they're killing us. hmm so I have to speak on it because I have a platform. Mm-hmm. So it means that, you know, Nether's in town. And I'm like, girl, just come on by the show. Just, like, talk to the people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they didn't buy into that. But to Andy Cohen's credit, He's only given me one note the entire time I've done bevelations, and it's only been a year and a half. But he's only given me one note, and that was simply stop talking about assolingus because I was obsessed oh. with people <laughs> that eat ass
0: because I didn't. Wait, wait. It didn't
1: make sense to me. I don't understand it.
0: So the note was stop talking about that. Yeah,
1: because I was asking all the guests, do you perform assolingus? Have you had it performed? I can't. Yeah. I can't. But I kept asking everybody for like a week straight. And he was like, okay, enough, enough with the acelanders. That. That's the only note he's ever given mm-hmm. me. But he's never been like, you know, we're a pop culture show, you're going a little heavy into politics, none of it. Mm-hmm. To so, his credit.
0: So there was no cost to you, or no, you didn't feel like you lost anything by well, being a Well, yeah, very but vocal. I
1: mean, people have said it. You know, most times people call up and they're very, very polite. I've, you know, people have been like, you're racist or whatever. That's the norm,
0: right? Yeah. That's If you talk about race in general in this country that you're yeah. called racist. So that's the norm. Yes, yeah. so I didn't care.
1: Mm-hmm. So talk to me about
0: some of the other work you're doing now. So you've got, um, it's visions, your visions. My life, with, life vision. with vision. Yeah, mm-hmm. my
1: life with vision work. Life with vision is like a passion project of mine because, you know, it really allows me to reach a much bigger group of people than if I was trying to do one-on-ones. And basically, Life of vision came about because people on social media would see that I was doing these dinner parties for celebrities and they would want to come. Mm-hmm. You're not a celebrity, you can't come because brands pay to connect with celebrities. They're not going to pay hundreds of dollars to connect with a consumer. They'll right. pay, you know, $20 or something. <laughs> and, you know. huh. So they couldn't come to a dinner with Bevy, but then I got all these emails from people because I would do all these things on social media. I would give out advice on Saturdays especially and They'd be like, oh, my gosh, can you mentor me? Or can you meet with me for lunch or coffee or dinner? Like, no, child, I can't. <laughs> so I decided to come up with Dining with Bevy, Life with Vision. So it was a merge of Dinner with Bevy, but it was open to the public. Mm-hmm. And it was me, what I would do on social media, but you would be in the room with me. Mm-hmm. Sharing your advice, your story. <laughs> yeah. your uh uh-huh. So I've been doing that since around 2013, maybe? 2014, 2013. And I love them. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been doing them recently Because it's evangelical work. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like when you do it, and the reason why I would never be a life coach or anything like that is because I don't know how you can, like, actually force yourself to just always be in the mood to help people in that way. Mm -hmm. Because when you're doing that kind of work, you're pouring out and people are looking to you for answers, So you have to be in a very strong mental space to be able to give that to people on a consistent fucking basis. Mm -hmm. No tea, no shade, no disrespect to nobody, but y'all ain't figuring to burn me out. (laughs) So (laughs) Uh I can only give when I'm strong enough to give. Yeah. You know, I'm not one of those women that I'm not going to be put upon.
0: Yeah, I learned that early. My parents were pastors, and I saw, a pastor of a small church, and Mm -hmm. I saw that. My father actually, he died of a heart attack at 42. Wow. And I attribute some of that to just the constant... Pouring out. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time you saw the man, it was,
1: yep. help me, help, yes. help yeah. me, help yeah. me. And no
0: pouring into yourself. No
1: pouring into yourself. So I have such
0: respect for people who have a heart to give, yeah. but also can draw boundaries. And yeah. say, no, can't do it
1: all the time. Can't do it all the time. Okay. I'm yeah. tired. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to go to this party. So I can't get up at 10 o'clock in the <laughs> right. yeah. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, you know, I take my pleasures very serious. Mm. I take my pleasures very seriously. You also
0: don't hear a lot of women who are comfortable enough saying that. Yeah, like, well,
1: uh-huh. this is what it is. Yeah. I've always been that way. Yeah, You know, my entire career, I'll never forget when I was in my 20s and I was like, you know, just a Supreme Party girl, like just to the nth degree.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I always had a career.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And it wasn't until Vibe where my personal life and my professional life collided. And the first time when, like, Damon Dash, who at the time was still with... Rockefeller. Rockefeller. He came into a meeting, saw me in a conference room. He's like, What are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I'm the fashion advertising director. He's like, You what? How you get that job? I was like, the whole time I was like going at these parties and everything, huh, I always had a career. Uh-huh. It wasn't weird though, because I was a real party girl. So not someone who liked to go to parties. No, I'm talking about I was a diehard five days a week. What? Trips. Uh-huh. All the stories. I cavorted with every rapper, you know. You did it all. I did it all. Uh-huh. But I had a career at the same time. But my value was not its something very interesting because my value back then was only very much about my wit, but more so my looks. Mm. And so what you did for a job or a career, people weren't even thinking about no career. hmm Most party girls worked maybe as secretary of receptionist or somebody, some kind of clerical work, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they didn't have careers. I had a career.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But just never talked about it.
0: Mm. And until Bob until and then when it was kind of like and these yeah, two and things the, came together. And then the worlds
1: merged, and then people were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, that whole time I'd be like, yeah, that's the reason why sometimes I couldn't just leave the club and get in a car and go on the caravan to right. Virginia Beach or to, you know what I mean, Myrtle Beach or something. Because uh-huh. people do that all the time.
0: Yeah, but you have You work. would
1: leave the club and, and the guys would be like, i pay you for your day. I always would say, you can't pay me for my day. Mm-hmm. They would never, what you're talking about, I got mad money. I was like, yeah, no, you don't get it. Like, you can't. Because you can't pay someone for their day if their day builds towards their career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm a clerk somewhere and I'm making $10 an hour, you could most assuredly pay me for my day. (laughs) Uh But if I go with you to Virginia Beach and miss that meeting where I'm supposed to be presenting to Bill Blass, Mm -hmm. you've ruptured my career for my life for, what, $500 or something? So that
0: kept your priorities in check. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, So, so that surprised people about you. Yeah. What have you found surprising about this journey? What has surprised you the most in, in the journey of being and creating Bevy Smith?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess like the entrepreneur thing. hmm I, I always knew I had a good head for business and for marketing and things like that. But when I quit my job, it was with the idea that I was putting all of that to the side.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now I know more than ever, I need those skill sets.
0: Yeah, that's actually yeah. pretty central to what, yeah. you're, what you're doing right. and building, yeah. right? So yeah. that, that caught you a little off guard. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So my old life continually comes back up in this current life that I have.
0: Are you envisioning a new life? Is there another chapter? Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I already have that. I've had that mapped out over oh, and that? day. What's the new one? The thing is, is that now coming up, I have Page Six TV, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is going to be, it's a nationally syndicated show and um
0: congratulations thank
1: you and that's a daily show so that means america gets to see me on tv every single day and they don't need a cable box so that's a really big Mm. point of difference Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because when people can see you just by turning on the tv and they don't have to pay anything extra
0: Mm
1: -hmm. that takes you to the next level yeah and it's
0: a different level of intimacy when you're in people's faces every Every day day. Mm -hmm. exactly
1: so between bevelations my serious xm show And page six, America's really going to get to know me. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about that. But the goal is eventually to have my own show.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's going to happen. So once that happens, and once I slay that, Mm
2: -hmm. as in I get my
1: Emmy and, you know, Uh I start producing other shows and doing all that kind of stuff. Once that's done... I'll probably segue into art and architecture curation. So I'm very oh, interested. Yeah. Okay. I'm a big, big, big architecture buff. So I travel for architecture. I went to Barcelona for Galley's one hundredth anniversary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um when I was just in Chicago. I went to Frank Lloyd Wright's house. So that's the kind of stuff I love. Mm-hmm. I have the biggest question on David J. You know. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: You know. I love that it. kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: And um art stuff. Thelma Golden of the Studio Museum of Harlem has been gracious enough to be, you know, kind of massaging me along and and giving me opportunities to be in that space. Every year I host the red carpet for Russell Simmons Art for Life, Mm -hmm. so I feed myself in that way. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of, like, every single museum in New York City, it Uh seems. So that's going to be a huge... Yeah, that'll be a big part of my next chapter story, so Mm -hmm. art and architecture.
0: So you started off saying that your story in the very beginning was focused around this idea of having a partner who would ultimately take care of you, right? Then you recognize, actually, I'm going to have to take care of myself, right? Where Where does love fall in? And I'm not asking about your dating life, but I am curious to know, since that was such a huge part of what your vision was
1: earlier, and then you're like,
0: no, that's not my life. How do you see that in the story of your life now?
1: I see... Um, there are a couple of examples that I have role models that I have. Um, when I met Gloria Steinem, I said, "Oh my God, you're my love role model." And she was like, "Whatever for?" And oh, I said, I
0: "Love role model." I oh, like yeah,
1: that. and she said, "Whatever for?" I said, "Because you got married later in life, and you married someone who totally got you, and didn't mind that you were this amazing spirit, and I had this big monumental life, and all that kind of stuff." And she's like, "Oh, oh, I, I loved a lot of men." <laughs> But I married this one because he needed the green card.
0: Oh, keep it real, Gloria. Uh, yeah, and they keep loved real that. Glory.
1: And I was like, oh my God, so that's interesting. She told me that a few years back. So that was food for thought. Then Angelica Houston also married later in life uh-huh. to a man, again, who saw her for who she was and strong and all that. Jane Fonda, who's married oh, many, 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 many times. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was in her 60s, she was still pandering to men. She was married to Ted Turner mm-hmm. and she shifted herself yet again. She had spent her entire life shifting herself for men. If you read her autobiography, she talks about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's now only now finally in her 70s that she is in a relationship. She's not married, mm-hmm. but she's in a big monumental loving relationship and she's now finally comfortable to be who she is, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who she's always been. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't need it to be seen through the prism of a man. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so those are kind of like ideas and role models of the way I kind of like see my situation. I definitely believe that love is an integral part of happiness. Mm -hmm. But love should not be drama.
0: Say that again.
1: Okay. And love should not be complicated to the point of you're like, well, I love you and this is hurting me, but I love you. Like, no, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to be in chronic pain just so you can be in love. <laughs>
0: chronic pain. That's so real. right? You know
1: what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you just keep seeing it time and again, you know, Mary J. Bly is coming out about her whole situation. Um, the,
0: the interviews have been
1: gut-wrenching. I'm like, Mary. It's like awful, right? And it's like, but you see this time again. And you've seen it since the days of Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, all these women marrying these near-do-well men.
0: Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how successful, talented, powerful, right, these women are. There's still that Achilles heel.
1: Well, you know why? Because our world is set up in that way. Because if a woman is not connected to a man, Mm -hmm. well, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Even someone as powerful as Oprah, they still question yeah. what's going on. And they want to make her a lesbian so bad so that that would explain why she's not married to Stephen and doesn't have children. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the truth of it is what she's been telling you. I don't want to get married. <laughs> yeah. And she just didn't have kids. Like, okay, maybe that's just the truth. Right. But that doesn't work for people because that's not what women should be doing or feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. I think the more women, Even your own story, just about kind of the way that you look at age, the way you look at your career, the way you've owned at so many different points, what your desires were, the way you deal with your pleasures. I think part of the moment we're in now, um, there's a recognition of how important it is for women to talk about the ways in which their life does not fit the stereotype. Yeah. Right. And never has and never will. Yeah. Because the more we see, the more we see reflections of, of women doing different things and doing bigger things, I think the more for younger women, the easier it will be for them.
1: Well, no, but I don't think younger women want it. You know, I just what I you think mean? I think younger women are far more concerned about the MRS status uh-huh. than we ever were. Oh, I just no. know so many young oh, God, women that are not. like obsessed with getting married what to do, any what? and everybody. Child, they're obsessed.
0: Uh uh. I mean, I shouldn't say uh uh. Of course there are. But I guess I know so many who are the opposite. Like, please do not. Because, so there's two sides, right? And this is the problem people try to generalize a whole generation. Yeah. Because it's too many people to generalize, right? right? So you're right. I do know a lot of younger women who are obsessed with getting married.
1: And haven't even done anything in their careers. I'm like, girl, do you not know? Why did you go to school for six years? Most of these women have advanced degrees. Why did you spend all that time and money? I bet you that number of women is in the minority,
0: though. I don't know. It's about, it's all about circles. Because the women, the younger women, I know yeah. are like, please, absolutely not. Especially when you look at statistically the image that has been painted of marriage and partnership, yeah. right? So over our generation, we've seen divorces. So most of the younger women I know are like, uh-uh. Oh, girl, no. No, thank you. I mean, yeah, I want a partner. Yeah, I want somebody. But are not rushing. And I think there's been such a a pressure and expectation to build a beautiful, big, fantastic career that a lot of women are also kind of in that place where, like, this is priority number one. Wow. So I think it's good. We're seeing a mix. We're seeing a mix. And you know what?
1: This is not to knock anyone who is a wife or a mother. My sister is a wonderful wife. I'm a wife. And the mother of five children. Mm -hmm. And I tell you this, her life brings me so much joy because that's how I get fed my, um, you know, I get to go and do Christmas Eve karaoke Uh with a bunch of kids or that's, I get to be a wonderful sublime aunt and and the auntie main character that I've always wanted to be. So the kids turn 18 or they turn 21, they get a trip to Europe with auntie Bev. I'm happy to do that. You know what I mean? That fills me with a lot of joy. So I don't ever want to seem like I'm putting down the institution of marriage or and certainly no, like, no, 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 no. you know, um, critiquing people that have children. I'm not. I'm just saying that for me, while I would love to be in a monumental relationship, which is that's my goal when it comes to love, mm-hmm. not so much the marriage thing. Right. But to be in a monumental partnership, loving relationship. hmm. I never wanted children. But if my mate had children, yeah. I would love to see someone every other weekend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that level of specificity.
1: Yeah. Yes, honey. And every I mean, other weekend. And week, that's, yeah. the power, that's the
0: power of feminism or as a black woman of womanism, right, where you're able to say to each his own. Yeah. Women do who you are called to be. Yes. Right? Um, which Live. brings me, which brings me, so then I'll, I'll let you get out of here soon. But the show is called The Call, where mm-hmm. we talk about women who are stepping up and answering a call in their lives or who have at various points felt a calling towards something. If you had to describe what you believe you are called to do in this world, and that changes at various points yeah. in your life, but for now, what would you say that is?
1: I have been called to be a connector, to be a conduit. That's who I've always been since I was a child. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time. But now that it's become apparent, because I do it just very naturally, mm-hmm. I do it oftentimes without being invited to do it, <laughs> <laughs> much to some people's chagrin. Um, but that's that's what I know is my calling. Mm-hmm. I love 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 to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. It brings me great joy to be able to put people in the room. Some of my happiest moments were like I introduced Ken Wally to Lee Daniels, and that's how his work ended up on Empire Season Mm 1. Or introducing Nelson George to Misty Copeland, and Mm -hmm. that's how a ballerina's tale came to fruition, because they met at a dinner with Bevy. Um, You know, these kind of things make me very happy. Or if I introduced uh, best friends, you know, or people that have gone to a life revision course and then they still are connecting with people from the course or mm-hmm. some of them have even gone into business together. That makes me happy. So I know that I'm a conduit. I've been called to um, to facilitate relationships, mm-hmm. but meaningful ones mm-hmm. and not um, just ones that are one-sided or transactional, real heartfelt connections. Mm-hmm. And that's my gift.
0: Oh, I love it. So what one piece of advice would you give to a younger woman who is at any age trying to kind of answer her calling, right? She recognizes this is what she or he, frankly, doesn't just have to be a woman. Someone who's recognizing in this moment based on what's happening in the world where they are that, you know what, there's something different that I want to do. I need to step up in a big way, whether that's build a business, switch careers, be an activist, be more vocal, whatever it is. What one piece of advice would you give them?
1: Do the work. Stop with the chitter chatter. Do the work. Mm-hmm. So you know a good idea is just that a good idea. It means nothing if you don't put any kind of work behind it, and um, that's really my mandate. That's what I'm I'm all about. I'm doing the work, and I do it quietly. As flashy and as boisterous as my life often seems, I'm always working, and I'm working silently most times.
2: Mm-hmm
1: and i'm always being strategic and and seeing how things like move me along or seeing how i get an entry point into something like you now i mentioned to you that i'm doing a sage table for this great organization mm-hmm. that helps the elder lgbt community so something like that that's a passion of mine
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm so happy that i'm able to just kind of pick up the phone and get this done
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's through my relationships mm-hmm. but it's also because I've done the work. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So now the work is going to serve me, and even better, it's going to serve this great organization. Mm -hmm. So doing the work will help you make all your dreams come true. Because without it, you will be maybe a bright, shiny thing. I know people are very obsessed with social media. And I have a decent following and everything, and that's great, but I'm not obsessed with social media Mm -hmm. at all. Like, I don't need to be the shiniest girl on Instagram. Because I want to be the shiniest girl that's doing the best work in real life. In
0: real life. Off yes.
1: Night, yeah. IRL. Mm-hmm. Yes. The shiniest girl IRL. Yeah. yeah. That's what I want to be. And it's doing the work that I can be proud of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's my biggest That's my biggest thing to younger women or to anybody. Just, like, do the work. Buckle down and do the work. And don't be sidetracked by what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. I can't worry about it. Like, I'm friends with all my peers and my contemporaries. I'm friends with June Ambrose. I'm friends with Ty Beauchamp. I can't be in competition with those girls. We all have a different gift. Yep. Yep. Now, for a long time, they would be like, oh, yeah, the black fashion girls. Oh, yeah. But I do a lot more than fashion. Ty Beauchamp does a lot more than fashion. I love Ty. June does a lot more than fashion. Like, we all have all these disparate um, interests and everything. And now we're living in a time where we don't have to be in that little tiny box. Mm -hmm. Now the world can see us and and we can explore and, you know.
0: And be individuals. And be individuals, individuals. yeah.
1: But we can also still have relationships and, you know, applaud each other and we don't have to be bitchy and competitive with each other. Mm -hmm. Like I was just watching Feud, you know, the the show about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, and that's so tragic because they spent all those years being mortal enemies. When they were really the same fucking person, they all just were fighting against the patriarchy of Hollywood, and they could have banded together and been stronger for it. Mm-hmm. But instead, they were like attacking each other while the men sat on the sidelines and laughed and cackled and were like, and made money off of." it. Yes, they made money off of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, band together, fight the system, and do the work.
1: Do the work. Do the work. Do the work, do the work. and also it gets greater later. Oh, it really does. Love that. It gets great. You know where I got that from? Where. From the amazing show that used to be on HBO called Hookers on Hunts Points. I
0: have not seen that show.
1: Okay, it's amazing. You have to Google it. Okay. You have to YouTube it. And it was um a man who just would follow prostitutes in the South Bronx.
0: Like a doc- docu-series? Or yeah, was... okay. like
1: a docu-series. Mm-hmm. But before docu-series was a thing. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a CD documentary. <laughs> okay. But it was a myriad of them. And um he did one where it was Hookers in Atlantic City. <laughs> And there were these two hookers, Tia and Sunshine. And I forget which one it was, Tia or Sunshine. And she said to the other, yeah, um, you know, I like to come out late on the track. Because you know what they say? It gets greater later. And me and my dear friend, Cheryl Caligari, who is a big executive over at Beats by Dre, that's our mantra. It uh-huh. gets greater later. And I've taken that. At first, I used it like in the very literal way, the way Tia and Sunshine meant it. <laughs> but now it's become... A way to signify that my life is getting better as I get older mm-hmm. it gets greater later I love that yeah
0: baby. thank you so much for being here you're and taking welcome. the time you're welcome such a fun conversation I enjoy yeah, it yeah
1: it's look you have hooker talk and we hear everything yeah okay, and what was it acolingus acolingus I gotta look that up I don't yeah, know. well it's the right people right that eat all the ass you but know, but know is all it of called, that but is it called yeah, 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 yeah. I, that I didn't like know like
0: I mean, baby. shut up it is not really called acolingus yeah it is I gotta look that up. I, I did, did know. not. I
1: did it's know. a full thing. I did not know. It's a
0: movement. Well, you taught me some, many things, but that yeah. was one. Thank yeah. you, baby. Calling, 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 calling yeah. calling yeah. Well, I'm not going to say that word again, <laughs> but I am going to say thank you to Bevy for taking the time to join us and share so much of your amazing journey with us. Uh, this episode was produced by the wonderful Samara Brieger. The Call is a production of Man Repeller, and I'm your hostess with the is Erica Williams-Simon. We're getting close to the end of our first season and I've loved every single tweet and comment you've shared with me about the show. Please keep them coming. Start telling me who you want to hear on the show next season. I'm on Twitter at Created by Erica and on IG at Miss Ewell. And so until the next time I hear from you, you know what to do. Keep loving, keep working, keep fighting, and above all, keep answering your call. Peace, y'all. Calling, 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 Thank you. Yeah.